Father, we thank you that you have awakened us to your glory and your goodness, your salvation. Life is never the same because of that. Thank you. Thank you so much for rescuing us from sin and shame, from our, our, our being orphaned by sin. You have brought us in. What a grand truth. I pray we value that today to the nth degree. May God be praised in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hate snakes. <laughs> and if you do, you need therapy. That's the only thing I have to say about it, you know. When we preachers write sermons, we like to begin our, our, our message uh, the best when we have stories to tell about our lives. And this week I say, man, I wish I had a good snake story to tell. And then I thought, I am so glad I don't have a good snake story to tell. You know? But now my wife would, if she were preaching today, I mean, she, she grew up, most of you know, in Zimbabwe. And uh, when she was a little girl, she was playing with her brother. And while they were sitting outside her house, it was, they were at the Mashoko, um, which is a, a out in the bush country. There was a mission hospital there. And a green mamba fell between them. Deadly mamba. And not supposed to run, but she did, of course, the brother. Another time, she was in a kitchen in another house they lived in. And there was a cobra already up. And ready to, I would need a diaper supply or something, you know, through all that. Snakes, they're never looked at in a positive way. I mean, they, they, uh, they, they represent evil to the fullest degree, you know, in every sense of the word, right from, right from the Garden of Eden forward. Last week, Luke preached this strange story in uh, the scripture, it really happened, about a talking donkey. And today our passage is about these hissing snakes. We're in Numbers chapter 21. The context, if you're new to us, uh, we have been studying uh, the rescue of God's people out of Egyptian slavery to freedom. They had endured slavery for 400 years, and God miraculously got them out of slavery. He's taking them to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The Bible describes it. But this particular group doesn't get there, most of them. Those who are, who are older never get there because they do not have the faith necessary to enter the land. God noted that faith. They let fear overtake them. And so for 40 years, God allows them to wander in the wilderness area until the older generations die, and he's waiting for those that are, 20, that are, that are under 20 years old uh, to, to grow up and to be the new leaders, the faith leaders, into the promised land. So there's all kinds of things that happen in this wilderness wandering. We're toward the end. We have one more message next week, and, but this is today's. Numbers 21, verse 4. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread. There's no water. And we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. This passage is about the deadliness of sin. It's about the consequences when we live in sin, but it's about the hope we have when God has, has come and brought his good news to us, that we can know what it means to be saved by him 
and have a future with him. We start with this, the sinful rebellion. Now, sin is anything that stands against the glory, the goodness, the holiness, the character of God. And that's why we're always learning and growing and understanding what sin is, is in our own lives. Because the more we get to know God, the more is exposed about our ungodliness. And the more we recognize how far we are from being the person that he is. They were guilty of two primary sins. One is that they denied God's blessing. When they entered the wilderness area, they could not provide for themselves. And we learned previously that God provided this miraculous food from heaven called manna. They got up in the morning, and these flaky things were there. They were, it was sweet resin-like, and they could do a variety of things with this stuff, much, I, I suppose, that we, as we would use flour in a number of ways. But this red resin could be baked into pastries or bread. I imagine they might have had banana bread. I'm not sure, but it would have been good. Uh, but this diet... They had had enough of They were sick of the diet. Regardless of the fact that this was God's supply, that this, he was doing it miraculously, they didn't even have to do anything about it. They were saying, if we just had better food, I think we'd be okay. It reminds me of an old Seinfeld episode where he goes out with this gal, and she's beautiful. She has long blonde hair, beautiful smile. He likes everything about her, except she has man hands. And he can't get past that. It should be perfect, except for the man hands, you know. We do the same thing, I fear, with God. Because we have a lot of things we can list about God. We were crazy about God. God, if you could just give me a better job, you'd be perfect then. If you could just give me a better, a, a better woman to date or a, a better man to date. If you could just get me into that college. If I could just get these finances taken care of, then you'd really be perfect. We always have something that we think would make God better. What an affront to him. Um, God has been so good to us. He's been so good to us. This really, this account is no different than Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Because there they were. They had a perfect world. They walked with God in the cool of the day, the Bible says. And every, every, nothing could be better except they couldn't eat the fruit off that one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they couldn't stand it. And they listened to the evil one who came in the form of a serpent. Paradise itself was not good enough for them. They sinned against God. Not only did they defy, uh, d deny God's blessing, but these people denied God's prophet. Verse 5, they spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Moses was God's chosen leader. He had a special endowment of the Holy Spirit in his life. He was a prophet of God, just like the later prophets in the Old Testament period were. And when these prophets spoke and led, they were doing so under the direction of God. They were saying what God wanted them to say. Someone well said that poets and pigs and prophets are not appreciated until they're dead. And that was certainly true of Moses. Moses later becomes a great hero of the faith to the Jews in their thinking. But when these Old Testament prophets spoke, they, they were just unusually endowed. Now, when Luke and I preach and write sermons, Riley preaches sometime, Derek's going to preach next week, you know, we do our best to take God's word and impart it properly, communicate it. Sometimes we do better than others. 
uh, because we're weak ourselves. We don't do it perfect. We're not perfect communicators. I'm not sure we always interpret exactly everything perfectly like God intends, even though we do our best. That's different. That, that process is different than Moses because he, when he was speaking, he was the mouthpiece for God. There was nothing weak in his message. Now, he wasn't a perfect person, but his spoken word were the words of God. And so when they rejected Moses, they were rejecting God's word. Now, all, that happens throughout the Old Testament until even Jesus makes this appearance. Jesus, the ultimate prophet, and more than that, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. John 1 says, Jesus came to his own, that is the Jews, and, his, and the Jews did not receive him. They rejected even that messenger sent from God. That was the history of the Jews, sadly. We have to guard our, ourselves against anything that causes us to question the words, the movement, the spirit, the life of Jesus. He is God's ultimate spokesperson. He is God in the flesh. He is Emmanuel with us. He's the author of our salvation and the pioneer of our faith. So these people were guilty of complaining about how they're led and how they're fed. But then came the swift reward. These venomous snakes. Now, I don't know how long this was, before these venomous snakes started happening. This, this, the, the, the Hebrew word here literally means fiery. Because when they were bitten, it was like fire, where the place of the, the bite was. And then that followed by a high fever and finally death. Now, we parents, um, we, we, one of the principles we learn in parenting is that the punishments should fit the crime, right? I mean, we... we, we I know what we've said in our emotional state. You know, they were late coming home. Oh, you're grounded for life! You know, well, we know that's a little overkill, right? And I think, I have a hunch, that's how these people may have felt when they started making the association between the snakes and their offending. God, isn't this a little bit steep? Isn't this a bit of an overreaction? Uh, maybe, maybe not. God has miraculously provided for them they have experienced the wonders of God, uh, miraculously getting out of Egypt when the death of the firstborn happened all over Egypt. They, they experienced walking across the Dead Sea. The, the, the... Henry, could you get that for me? Thank you. You're a good man. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Liz. I, thanks for sitting there, man. Thanks. I owe you. Lunch. Lunch, maybe, or something. All right. But I'll calm myself down. So... Uh, they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, right? Uh, they see the fiery pillar by night, the cloud uh, 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 during the daytime. They saw the glory of God come down and fill the tabernacle. They saw the glory of God surround Mount Sinai, the cloud, the mountain shook. I mean, the, these people have seen water come out of a rock, manna come from heaven. I mean, they, they had all these grand experiences with God, and yet it's not enough. They want more. See, that's what makes this such a serious sin. God created you and me with a gnawing inside for him. And when we say, no, that's not what I want. I would rather have this instead, life my way. That strikes at the very heart of the love of God for us and all he's done to reach toward us. This isn't just minor complaining about manna. 
This is a strike against God being the one that we truly need in life. If you are chasing after anything, thinking that's going to satisfy, it never, ever will. You were designed, I wasn't designed in a way that our jobs would satisfy us and fill the emptiness, or that money would, or vacations would, or cruises would, or kids would, or our spouses would. He created us that unless he is number one, we will never be fulfilled within. And so that's a hard lesson for us to learn. It takes a long, people to get, a long time for people to get there. Marcus uh, Person, you may not have heard the name, but you know what he did. If you play video games, he's the one that invented Minecraft. Now, I don't play video games, but I've heard of Minecraft. I know it's a hot game. At one time, at least it was. And he sold, he's a Swedish guy, and he sold Minecraft to Microsoft, which made him immediately a millionaire. And so he, he bought a $70 million mansion in Beverly Hills. He outbid Beyonce and Jay-Z for it. Uh, they say the house puts you on sensory overload. It has so many things in it. And yet, shortly after that, he was texting early in the morning. And this is what he tweeted at 4.48 a.m. The problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying. And human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. Two minutes later, hanging out in Ibiza with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want. And I've never felt more isolated. Two minutes later... When we sold the company, the biggest effort went into making sure the employees got taken care of, and they all hate me now. A minute later, found a great girl, but she's afraid of me and my lifestyle, and went with a normal person instead. I mean, we know this. We know this by personal experience. We know it from people that we've met, from stories we've read, that there's always this dead end that comes when I try to fill the gnawing part of my heart with something else to satisfy, it won't work. And so why am I saying that to the church crowd? Because we are prone to wander. Because we still, because of our sin nature, we still think if this and this and this was there, that's really what I need. And it'll be good to have God too. But I tell you, when that's fixed, there'll be more things that need to align right to make us feel whole and complete. There'll always be something on the list that we think if we just had that, then things would be better. He's got to be the ultimate. We've got to get to the place where he is enough alone, apart from anything else in our lives. Then comes the saving remedy. God is so very good to them, and he's good to us. I want to notice certain things about this remedy. First of all, it was salt. It was salt. They had to want a remedy. Now, I always prided myself that I got to this age without needing medication, but now I do. And so I had to, I'm on Medicare now, so I uh, had my physical, and I have to take Lipitor for my cholesterol. I got ticked off about it. I don't want to take it. I can't eat grapefruit anymore. Anybody take Lipitor? Anybody, you old people? Yeah, see, yeah. You want to join a non-grapefruit support group? Maybe we could do that. We have all these care groups. How about our Lipitor group, right? Yeah, watch cholesterol. 
You know, when you, if you've ever taken a prescription, you've got to work, look at the label. Do you find out about how to take the medication? There, you, you need to figure out, do I take it with food or without food, morning, night? Uh, what's, what, how is it to be taken? So when it comes to God's remedy, there are certain precursors for, the, for, the, for God's remedy to take effect. It has to be sought. And how can you know it's being sought? Notice in the text the three things true of these people. First of all, they woke up. It is hard for some people to wake up to spiritual need. It's just hard to wake up. Um, to admit that I need help. Because we're prideful people. We, we like to make our own way. Uh, we take pride in that. And it keeps us from the Lord when we refuse to wake up to our need. Kim Mustin She's a dear person around here, and she's always blessing people. And uh, she would, she would uh, drop by this, uh, these couple of people and take them grocery items and things. And about three weeks ago, uh, she stopped by their house, and the man answered the door, and he looked terrible. She hadn't seen him in a while, and she said, Greg, you're dying. You've got to get to the hospital. And he just burned her and brushed her off. And three days later, he dropped dead. Now, all around us, there are ways God is trying to wake people up. And maybe he's trying to wake you up. The, the book of us, I trust here, are surrendered to Christ, or we're in the process of surrendering. Maybe you haven't. You think you have your own way. I tell you, it is time to wake up to your need, deep need for Jesus. It's not a casual relationship. It's a deep, abiding relationship we have with him. Second of all, they admitted their guilt. Verse 7, we sinned against you, they said to Moses. And then they said to him, pray for us. And he does, despite the way that he had been treated by them, he does pray for them. And that's how godly people are. That regardless of how those who are unbelievers treat us back, we pray for them. Because we know the remedy we have received is the same remedy they need. And we don't stop caring for those who, who, who spurn our spiritual conversations or invitations or our desire to, to reach to them. We don't stop. Everybody needs somebody praying for them in the desert. And if we went around the room today and we asked, how did you get to Christ? I, I, invariably, we would all name someone who is key in getting us to Jesus. Because that's God's way. It's through people, people to people, person to person. And this church is not to be an isolated church. Don't ever think that you're in a holy huddle, and as long as you stay in the holy huddle, you're safe. You are not. Because we are called to infiltrate the darkness. We are light in the darkness. We are salt in a spoiling world. We are called to, to engage people in spiritual conversations and help them have an opportunity to know the same Savior that we know. Third, they took responsibility as well. They said, we sinned against the Lord. They realized that when they spoke against Moses and when they complained about the food, that that was sin against him. They didn't say, yeah, we know we sinned, but isn't this ridiculous that what we're going through? Or yeah, we know we, know we sinned, but you know, people have sinned worse than this. No, they took responsibility. There was no blame shifting. There was no excuses. They took responsibility for their lives. That's, that's all a part of seeking the remedy. Until we're willing to say these things, to, to wake up, to take responsibility, to admit guilt, we can't, we can't go on in the remedy. It has to be solved. Second, it was symbolic. God said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. What a ridiculous kind of command, isn't it? It seems odd. 
But the snake, of course, the serpent, represents sin. It has since the Garden of Eden. He's always hissing. He's sinister. He's scary. He's slithering. He's subtle. And he works in all kinds of ways to undermine our lives, to interfere in our relationship, to to somehow sneak his way into the normal routines of life and to, 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 to bite us and to fill us with his venom that destroys us. He is out to destroy your children and your grandchildren. He's out to destroy your marriage. He's out to destroy you as a person. He just is. This serpent, what is, and when Moses made him, it was a bronze serpent. Why bronze? Why? I mean, that seems awfully flashy for something as sinister as a snake. Maybe in a practical sense, maybe it's so, it would be gleaming in the light. And no matter how far you were in this encampment of up to two million Jews, you could see it in the sunlight, the reflection of the sun. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just making that up. I don't know. But there's another reason. Bronze in the Bible seems to suggest that the judgment of God. In the tabernacle, there was a a bronze laver. It was to represent the judgment of God. In Revelation chapter 1, when John sees a vision of heaven, he sees a vision of God, and God's feet are bronze feet glowing like a furnace. It's about the judgment of God. And here... Is a reminder of God's judgment on the people. And then it was put on a pole, high, and lifted up so people could see it. The Bible says in the Old Testament, quoted in the New Testament, anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. And of course, this is a type of why we're here today. We're here because of the cross of Jesus Christ and the one who has been lifted up so that all who look to him can be saved. That's our story. That's our hope. And John says this when he tells the life of Jesus in John 3, 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man, that is Jesus, must be lifted up. The Bible says in Corinthians that he who knew no sin became sin for us. When Jesus died on the cross, he took no sins of his own, but he took your sins and mine. And whatever sin... It's so heinous to you. Maybe it's a memory of sin that you can't shake that brings you shame. I want you to know Jesus died for that. He took that and you do not have to live in shame anymore. There's no greater news than that. The shame is gone. The Bible said, and when we think of him dying on the cross, we use terminology like Jesus took our sin. He did. But the Bible says not only did he take his sins, he became sin. Have you ever heard of a story of someone who did such heinous deeds? You might say of him or her. I mean, he is evil himself. She is, she's the personification of evil. That's exactly what Jesus was. He, he was the personification of evil on the cross. He was evil. It was all of our sins combined, the sins of the world, on him that day. He took the venom. He was the one who took our poison. So it was sought This remedy, it was symbolic. It was also sufficient. It was all that was needed. This one thing done. And it was a remedy for all who were bitten. It doesn't matter who it was. Jesus took our pain. The gospel means good news. 
And this good news is for every single person. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter what you did last night that you're feeling guilty about this morning. Jesus died for that sin to be forgiven and washed away forever and ever. That's the kind of Savior anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. It doesn't matter what your past is. That's how good he is. This remedy is also simple. The snake on the pole was the cure. And there was a response. They had to look. It wasn't just being told about it. They had to look to it. And they looked to it in faith, believing that they could be spared from this poisonous bite. They didn't have to climb the pole because not everybody could have done that. They didn't even have to get to the pole to touch it. Some would have been too sick to get there, too near death. All they had to do was look to the pole. It is not our work that saves us. It's not our goodness, not our kindness, our niceness, even the change we go through. It's only the cross of Jesus Christ, his remedy. And finally, this remedy was sine qua non. You remember reading that in your studies all the time in college? I always came upon that word, a Latin phrase. It, 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 it literally means without which not. What it means is this is essential. You ever read that in a book, sine qua non? I mean, this is absolutely essential. Well, imagine these people that day. Man, that is crazy. Look at the serpent on a, st on a stick. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to pray. That's not what God said. Prayer's good, but that wasn't the remedy for this. Well, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I know what I'll do. I'm going to make the best, I'm going to make the best manna meal we've ever had. And that'll show God how much, oh, I love manna. I'll never complain again. No, that's not what he said. You have to look. You have to look at the serpent on the pole. There's no other way. We live in a world today of syncretism. You know, syncretism is syncretism is adopting lots of different spiritual thoughts from a lot of different people and kind of making up your own journey. We, we run across it all the time, don't you? I run across it. You know, take a little bit of Buddhism, take a little bit of Hinduism, and a little yoga meditation, zap a little bit of Jesus in there, you know, and you're good to go. No, because that's not God's remedy. There's one remedy. He's the creator, and he's the only one that gets to offer the remedy. It's Jesus. Jesus alone. Now imagine that day in camp. I, I, I don't know how much time went by before they made the correlation. I don't think it happened fast, do you? I mean, can you imagine? The first person's bit. Wow, that's unfortunate. And they have a funeral. And then you get up the next morning. Two people, the headline says in the Wilderness Gazette, you know. No, two, pe two, two, two more people. Hmm, wow. And then, on that, then word gets on the other side of the camp, on the other side of a million people, there have been a few snake bites. Well, that, for crying out loud, you know, when we camped here, do you remember seeing any snakes around here? I don't remember seeing snakes around here. Hmm, boy, it's unfortunate. We need to get those out of here. But they keep happening. We don't know how many, but they keep dying. So much so that they start saying, could this be God? Could this be God trying? What, what maybe have we? Hmm? It's, a, it's the same thing happens with complaining, doesn't it? 
You hang around somebody who's griping about life, before long you start griping about life. And then you go out to dinner with a couple and you gripe and they start griping. And everybody starts beefing about life. And suddenly everybody goes home that night. They expect to have a good time, but they're all negative when they go home. Because that's how it all works. And somehow these people put two and two together. That they had complained against God's leader. They complained about God and the food. Could this be God waking us up? And that got their attention. Maybe it happened in a day. Maybe it happened in a year's time or a few months. I don't know. But they woke up. Is there anybody here today that needs to wake up? You've had a little bit of God, a little bit of belief, a little bit of church here and there. There's not been change. There's not been surrender. There's not been him being Lord of your life. Just playing around with religion a little bit. Talking yourself into eternal life when really you don't have any evidence that Jesus is Lord. So you're walking through camp this day and you see somebody who's been bit. Hey, you've been bit by a serpent. Did you hear Moses put a serpent on a pole? You could look. Yeah, I heard about that. But I thought I'd talk to some other people, check it out, see if it's really true or just a rumor. Not sure about that. No, you need to look. And you walk further and some guy's been bitten on the arm and he's shaking his arm trying to get rid of the snake. You, hey, you got a problem? Yeah, but I'll get rid of it. You know, I know I'll get rid. People are like that in life, you know. I'll just get rid of these sins. I know I shouldn't be doing that. I'll go to church a little bit, make myself better. And they think that's their remedy. That's not going to do it. You see somebody else got their... Now, see, you've been bitten. Yeah, I got bitten. Did you know that Moses put a snake on a pole? Yeah, but I don't have that healing feeling right now. I, I, when I feel like being, isn't that ridiculous? I had people say that to me. Yeah, I know what the Bible says. I just don't feel it in my heart yet to get right with God. What? You know that Jesus down the cross for your sins and you don't feel it yet? That's like going to the gym, waiting to sweat before you start working out. It's ridiculous. When do you ever feel like working out? Nobody feels like working out. And if you do, don't tell me. I don't want to know that. <laughs> no. Friends, friends, there's one remedy. There's one remedy. It's the cross of Jesus. And I trust that every week when you come in here, you're reminded of the cross. When we take these emblems in a little bit, that's what we're doing. We're remembering the cross of Jesus. And I trust that as we grow in Christ, one of the evidences that we get it, that when we look at people, what we think about is the cross. Have they gotten to God's remedy or not? Have they welcomed God's remedy in their life or not? We are called to build friendships with the world so that they can get to the remedy that we enjoy today. Because there's that other person at camp. And you say, hey, so you've been bitten. Look, look. Just look. Look at the snake on the pole. That's not logical. Doesn't make sense to me. How can you look at a snake? Doesn't make sense. People do the same thing today. You tell me logically how a man dies 2,000 years ago on a cross and had that saves me today. I can't fool it. All I can say is I was bitten and now I'm healed. And that's our story for the world. My Friends today, if you have not, if you have not come to Jesus, we don't look at a snake on a pole today. 
but we do look at the cross. On that first day of the church, the people realized their sin. They woke up. They knew their guilt. They knew their shame. They say, what must we do? And the apostle Peter, speaking God's word, said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you have not done that, take care of that today and be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for a great Savior. Thank you for the only hope of the world. Thank you that we get to live in a place and time where we got to know him and we can live for him today. May God be praised as we continue to share our testimony with other people that once we were dead, but now we're alive. In Jesus' name, amen.